Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. In the early 80s, ska trickled in the U.S. into big cities like L.A., Boston, New York, Berkeley, and Chicago with groups like The Untouchables, Bim Scala Bim, The Toasters, The Uptones, and Heavy Manners. In the mid-80s, Detroit would have their first official ska band, Gangster Fun. They wouldn't just be the big local heroes in Detroit. Gangster Fun became the surrogate hometown ska band for the entire Midwest. And during the late 80s and early 90s, they inspired a ton of ska bands in the area. Suicide Machines. Mustard Plug, MU330, the list goes on. Today we sit down with one of their founders, lead singer John Bunkley. We talk about why Midwest ska was a little different than what bands were doing on the coasts. I was never familiar with Gangster Fun. It wasn't until Suicide Machines brought it up as an influence that that I was aware of the band. Well, they weren't um, super popular here on the West Coast because they were more of a Midwest thing. I mean, they were. They were gods in the Midwest. I think they may have made it out here once or twice. I happened to be into the band because I was I was I dug deep into getting like records, ska records back in the day, and I and I liked their records a lot. But uh, I don't think I ever got to see them live. While I'm not well versed in gangster fun, I bought John's solo record, uh, Sunshine and Chocolate. It's so good. Yeah. I, I wish it was on streaming so more people could hear it. If you can get a copy. I highly suggest picking it up. It's a great record. We interviewed several times for my book. And like the one, this one detail that just like I like thought about so much after the fact, mm-hmm. which was like sort of this little casual mention was that your um, percussionist, Josh Silverstein, used to perform magic tricks during the show. Yeah. That's still like, I think about it, I'm like, that's so amazing. He's a professional music- magician now. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Describe for people like what exactly he would do and what that would look like. Well, it could be like a, a flash of fire from his hands <laughs> at any given moment. Or like I would be singing and I'd just look to my left and he's always, he wore like this pink, like this pink uh, velvety jacket with this ruffled shirt with the sleeves cut off. And, and his hair was always a different color, you know. And granted, this was like 1988 or something. And he would be pulling off like endless confetti streamers out of his <laughs> mouth and they would just go for like hundreds and hundreds of yards <laughs> he could pull it out like a whole song you know that's so amazing um did he bring this idea to the table 
or did he just start doing it? He just started doing it. No one ever brought an idea to the table. You just do whatever you want. Yeah. You know, it's like no one's going to say no to anything in this band. Just do whatever. It wasn't really like that type of band where anything was ever discussed. Yeah, it was like orchestrated chaos a little bit, huh? It was just chaos. Just it chaos. was never <laughs> orchestrated. <laughs> so Gangster Fun starts in like uh, 1986, right? Yeah, that's when our first live show was. Was there any ska in Detroit before that? No. What type of bands were there? Uh, punk bands, soul bands, R&B bands, like real R&B bands, uh, you know, disco bands. I mean, everything, you know, um, industrial bands. When I say industrial, I mean like people banging on like, like Einstein and Neubaut and like banging oh, on yeah. garbage and stuff like that, like real stuff. Um, synth, synth pop bands, a lot of Prince type bands. Um, a lot of big hardcore scene, you know. Um, yeah, no ska bands, you know. So what was your personal experience with ska before the band? Like, um, how did you how did you come to the music? Well, ska, I knew about ska when I was a little kid, you know. So I knew about songs like My Boy Lollipop and Israelites by Desmond Decker. And I knew Millie Small, you know. Of course, I knew Johnny Nash, you know, because he had hit songs on the, on the AM radio, you know. So, I mean... I knew about it then, so it was played, and I knew it was called ska, you know, so I knew, like, some of the Jamaican stuff, like, when I was, like, five or six, then, like, uh, I didn't really think about it much, you know. Didn't you say that your mom used to play it in the house? I mean, yeah, I mean, they, we didn't even call it ska, but I knew it was called ska, but, you know, like, she knew, she knew the song, she knew who Desmond Decker was, and I think she had the 45 of Israelites. Yeah, And she definitely knew who Millie Small was. I mean, those songs were hit songs. And those songs were played on the radio, in Detroit radio. So um, we knew that stuff. I mean, we like Prince Buster, like Ten Commandments wasn't played or anything like that. But um, just the real popular stuff. I see. And so, like, um, we knew that. And I guess the first, like, revival-type bands I heard were, like, Probably the Selector and the Equators were probably the first two I was introduced to. Probably the Equators, you know. That, that's an interesting one because, I mean, the, even though the two-tone, two-tone bands weren't, like, big out here, they at least they were in sort of the alternative world. But, how, I mean, how much, how much did the Equators get over here? Well, well, I went to go try to go see them, but I wasn't old enough to get in the club. Oh, wow. So. So I rode my bike over to the club, which was about two miles away, you know, but I was like, you know, 15 at the time, 16, but I wasn't old enough to get in. So, um, but I knew about the Equators because I listened to everything on stiff records. So, you know, everything from Elvis Costello to Joe Jackson to Reckless Eric. So, you know, that's the kind of like, I like that. I like that uh, 70s pop, pop punk, punk stuff, you know, back then, like the pub, pub bands from England. And with that and Motown stuff, you know, so that's how I knew about the Equators. And then, you know, I was really drawn to the Selector. That made me explore the uh, specials. I really liked the Selector because, especially the um, second album, Celebrate the Bullet. Yeah, it's a great album. So I really liked that album a lot. That was like one of my favorite albums. But, you know, I was drawn to them, you know, like the, like the Equators because they're a mainly black band. And, uh, you know, it just kind of reminded me of like 
even a more hyped up uh, Steel Pulse, which I was a big fan of. Yeah. When you when you rode your bike out to that Equator show and you were too young to get in, did you did you hang out for the entire show outside and listen? Uh huh. How was that experience? It was good. You know, people stop and talk to me. And the funny thing is, my best friend to this day, you know, um, I didn't know him at the time. He was in that show. Two of my best, two of my good friends, they got in. They are a couple years older. They told in like you know many years ago. They told me it was amazing. So I just. It crushed me. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible, but kind of beautiful at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was great, you know. And, you know, I got to sit outside a lot of shows like that. I sat outside, couldn't get into the selector, too young. Uh, Couldn't get into the police. These clubs clubs really small, too, like 200 people, you know. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, so I mean, like the first British band I would have saw probably was like 80, 81, and that would have been Bad Manners. What was that show like? Amazing. Every, <laughs> Bad, Manners, every Bad Manners show is amazing. What size was the venue? Like 500. Yeah. Ann, Ann Arbor, four or 500, maybe 600. Um, just dancing and Buster being amazing and everybody in the band just being so musically good. You know, and it was nothing wrong with that show. It was like the perfect, it was the perfect show, you know, for me to, to see a revival band, you know. If you go back in your, in your mind to that show, what is the, the like image that you see in your head just thinking of that show? Like, can you describe that to us? A uh, beer being thrown on everybody. <laughs> yeah. Him taking big yeah. swigs of stuff and spitting it at the audience. No one being mean and everybody just smiling and dancing like everybody just dancing and if you fell somebody was going to pick you up and just start dancing with you it could be like you know i was like a little guy you know i was dancing and fall people pick me up hug you and keep dancing you know (laughs) and singing the songs like just you know seeing winston bazumi's play the harmonica it's just like i was like yo this is this is amazing, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was great, you know? Uh-huh. Seeing Lewis play the guitar. It was just like, just a magical thing, you know? It's just, and I had seen a lot of shows by that time, you know, because I got into a lot of all-ages shows. So, I, you know, I've seen bands like, by that time I had seen Minor Threat and Fear and, you know, Bad Brains, like, before they had Dreads, you know? Yeah. And... And I ended up, you know, Gangster Fun ended up playing shows with Bad Brains, like during the Eye Against Eye tour. So we did that, you know. What was that like? Great, you know. It was great. <laughs> the crowd must have been like exhausted at the end of those shows. Yeah, yeah. That's the whole point. You don't want the crowd to be able to walk or do anything after a show. So, you know, I didn't want them to walk after our set. So then they had to deal with Bad Brains. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> so I mean I mean but by me seeing like Bad Manners I think was like at that time probably the most the band that I could say was the happiest show I had ever seen really you know? yeah like where everybody was happy the band was happy The I seen things where people were like spiritually uh, awakened like when you see Still Pulse but 
you know, but there's some strong messages being thrown at you then. So people are like, but Bad Manners, you know, while their songs were political, their songs were like, they had songs that, you know, that were just party songs too. Mm -hmm. They were like the ultimate, for me, the ultimate party band, the ultimate band where you could just let your cares away, you know, free yourself. Yeah. I mean, they would have songs where it'd just be like Can Can or something, you know? You just mm-hmm. go crazy. Yeah. And then you then they do inner London violence and you still go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was just the band for me back then. And then but then not to take away anything for Selector, because they were my band too. You know, so I was like, I love this band, just rhythmically, like the bass and the drums, then with Pauline singing, I was like, Oh, I just love this band, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Selector's probably my my top band as well. Uh, I love the specials. They're, you know, and especially that first album is classic, but I feel like the selector just the, the rhythm section, like they, they had the perfect, they're the perfect middle place between authentic Jamaican ska and punk rock. Like they, they marry mm-hmm. those two worlds in a way. I don't know that any other of this ska revival or third wave ska band to have. But like, to be honest, my band wasn't as a whole me included we while we did love those two bands and 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 uh specials as well we didn't take our cues from those bands while writing you know we our favorite like ska songs were like songs done by non-ska bands like xtc like burning with optimism's flames and yeah you know or you know this is the life ain't this the life by oingo boingo or like you know a reggae song but done by the pretenders or or just you know a reggae song done by black uhuru you know and then we just try to vibe off of that and of course bad brains you know and their reggae but we were always listening to like ska songs by like the suburban lawns or something like that from new wave bands yeah i love that you bring up xtc because i XTC are probably one of my favorite bands, and I love that. Likewise, yeah, likewise. I mean, I like all, all, especially like English Settlement. I think is probably that's. Like, if you look at my high school yearbook, that I put that down as my favorite album. That album should be like considered like one of the greatest albums of the '80s. It's so good. It's it's like a lot of people's records, like especially out of pop of the punk rock ilk, will put London Calling as their favorite. Record. Yeah, but of the punk rock ilk, English Settlement is mine. Yeah, Eas- easily. Easily. What's the ska song on English Settlement? That's um, it's not Optimism Flame. That's on a uh, Black Sea. That's on Black Sea. Yeah, there isn't. There is a really good ska song on English Settlement. Um, down in the cockpit. The down in the cockpit. Down in the cockpit. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah, down in the cockpit is the Scottish song on that album. Yeah, yeah, that's a killer song. Yeah. What was it that drew yeah. you to the the ska songs by the non ska bands? You know what. That first, like, that first, like, specials album, like, it kind of hit me, like, the way that uh, Black Market Clash hit me by The Clash. It just seemed like a bunch of cover songs done by British bands, you know, like how Police and Thieves is done. Not that I don't like Police and Thieves by, by The Clash, but I like the original more, you know, or like uh, It Must Be Love. You know, yeah. By Madness, I like the original more. 
So, because I knew the original, maybe because I knew the original first. So it's kind of like it, it got, to me, it got slighted a little bit because I knew the original first and then I heard the other version of it. Yeah. Like, like you're wondering now, like I really like the original of it, you know? So Monkey Man, I love the original. So, and I think that was my take on it, you know, but I do like, like, don't get me wrong. If, if I saw the specials and they were playing that song, I'd be <laughs> yeah, you'd dancing be, you'd be into off, it. you know? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> totally. You know, I'm not lying, but you know, I was always, you know, I like the more specials record is probably a little bit more than the first record, you know? And I li- love the fun boy three records, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, it's just, you know, I've never been like a huge Madness fan. I mean, I'm okay with them, but I'm never like a huge Madness fan. Like, you know, and there's some things I like by the beat, but, you know, I'm really, I, I kind of just always limited myself to the, those three bands, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, a couple Body Snatchers stuff, you know, I kind of like them too, you know. But right now I'm digging, like, I've just been like, like, which I haven't done in a long time. I've just been listening up to nothing, but the, uh, not nothing, but, but I've been listening to the special AKA records, you know? Oh yeah. And, and I really like them. <laughs> I, I would argue that free Nelson Mandela is one of the best songs by the specials, Wh- whatever incarnation of the specials. What do you think? I don't No, no, no. I think like, wow, I don't know what is the best song. I think, uh, you know, uh, Ghost Town is my favorite. But then I was like, then I'll listen to Stereotypes or something like that or War Crimes, you know, which I also like. Yeah. But I think Free Nelson Mandela was really, I mean, as for a song that hit the charts and what it like woke, it like opened people's eyes up to. Yeah. Yeah. It was this song that had the, you know, it was an, the most important song, I think, you know? I don't think a lot of people really understood the situation in South Africa with Nelson Mandela before that song. Like, it, it really did right. get that word out. Right. I know I didn't go to Shell Station because they, like, supported apartheid during that time. I was like, oh, there's a Shell gas station. Don't go, you know? And people yeah. were like, what are you talking about? And I was always swearing, get my hair cut and hear everybody like cursing at the Tigers and cursing at Reagan. So I knew what was up. <laughs> <laughs> so was it you that started Gangster Fun or was a couple of you and your friends? Okay. Yeah, it was, it was, it was me and uh, the keyboard, the original keyboard player. And uh, did you come up with the band name? Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, so yeah. what's the story behind the band name? Well, basically once we decided we weren't going to be a, a DC go-go band because we weren't from DC. <laughs> they were like, well, what kind of band do you want to be? And I was like, and I just threw it out there. Like, how about a ska band? You know, I don't know why I said it. You know, I just said it. And they were like, Dan, the keyboard player says, because he wanted to be a techno band or a ska band. I'm like, I don't want to do techno. <laughs> <laughs> just think there's an alternate universe where Gangster Fun's a techno band. Oh yeah, that's a <laughs> oh that's a fun universe. It's <laughs> a universe I want to be in. What the hell? <laughs> yes. No, no. So we like ska bands. Like we need a name. So and I already had a name for the Go Go band. It's called Go Dog Go. And I thought, oh damn, don't get that. I guess we could have got this. 
gangster fun go dark. So I said, well, let's just call ourselves gangster fun. And in my head was, I was thinking, harking back to that bad manners show when I had such a good time. It yeah. was the fun. And yeah. then I just took gangsters from the specials and put it together. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sick band name. Thank you. <laughs> it's hard to come up with a good band name. And that's a good one. I just said it too. And the guys. I know that's, that's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. I didn't think the guys liked yeah. it at first, but they were they couldn't come up with anything. Oh, for real? Uh-uh. No, nah, they were like, they all laughed at it. Uh, oh. but they kind of laughed at everything I did. So it was just like, whatever. Okay. <laughs> it, it seems like ba- good band names are almost always like sort of off the fly. Off the cuff. Like, it, like the ones yeah. that you sit and think about and like, we need this perfect band name. Like never, never come out good. Yeah. Let me think. I was thinking like, there's like so many uh, ska bands, you know, Back when I when Gangster Fun started, some of them had pretty good names, you know, like what? Uh, like well, they're named after a song, like Dancehall Crashers. But I still think that's a yeah. great yeah. name for a band, you know? Yeah. Hell yeah, great band name. Horrible band name, Potato Five. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter how good the band is if you call your band. Oh, that. okay, that German band from, and I don't like Scott Scott. Uh, Sound, sound ska pan, puns, but I did like yeah, the name no Skaos in mm-hmm. Germany. Oh, that's actually kind of cool. That was cool. I like, yeah, I like this. We had a band here in the Bay called Scandalism. Scandalism. No. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was all right. Scandalism, like vandalism. See, but you have to be so good if you do it. If you're like mediocre and you do that, yeah, you, yeah. they're like so good. You're going to you get go, dragged so hard. Like, Oh, like, oh, yeah, your band was scandalous, scandalous. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. and I don't ever, like, try to rag on a band either. So I don't, no. I don't, I don't really, it's like, you know, as long as they're having a good time, why am I going to try to burst someone's bubble? That's not cool. For sure. Yeah, I don't do that, you know. But if I do come up to you and say, oh, yeah, yeah. So did you like your band? Oh, yeah, you were really tight. You guys seem like you practice a lot together. That means I probably did. that means I probably didn't like you. The one the one I always hear is, uh, "Yeah, you look like you're having fun. Up there. Yeah. Having fun, a lot of energy, man. Yeah, a lot of oh, a lot of energy. Yeah. Oh God, nah, nah, that's I don't I don't try to be mean. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So Gangster Fun kind of hit the ground running, though, right? Like, yeah. Okay. So your first show was at um at the university, the Oakland University in Rochester. Right? Yeah, where, where I went to, where Dan, Pete, and and myself went to school. That's where the three of us went to college. So this, yeah, describe that show. What was that show like? Okay, it was in the student center, as I remember. Um, it was in a little hall area of the student center. So there was a little stage, and stage was about, I don't know, two or three feet high. And all the other bands play. I think there was a band called, I always want to call them the Lone Rangers, 
they weren't called the Lone Rangers. <laughs> that's a bad Dan. No, that's that band from that television show with Adam Sandler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's in a band with that other guy, Brendan Fraser. And they're called the Lone Rangers. Oh, but yeah, I always yeah. want to think this band is called the Lone Rangers and Last Calvary. That's what they were called. The Last Calvary. That's a better name. And they were like um they were like a alt alt country band. Yeah. And then there was a couple cover bands, and then there was us. <laughs> and it was, you know, all like the frat girls and stuff came to see the cover bands, and Last Calvary's family came and saw them. And the 25 punk people at OU came to see us, you know, and we play, and we're rambunctious, crazy, because standing on tables and playing and it would emptied out the whole place just emptied out <laughs> wow it just emptied out and we're just running around and everybody's running and and everybody we got an encore and we didn't we only had like eight songs seven or eight songs so brian the drummer sang the last song and we did lust for, lust for life by iggy pop that's what i remember <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> Did you guys do it ska or just straight? Straight. Oh, we did straight punk, like straight Iggy style. And you, were, were you just Iggying out or were you doing your own thing? Oh, I was just dancing around. I don't Iggy out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think so. Nah, nah. You know, I let Iggy Iggy out, you know? Yeah. He could still Iggy yeah. out, but I would never Iggy out. I like, I like, <laughs> I like that too, Iggy out. Yeah. <laughs> but your second show was... Um like a battle of the bands in front of like 900 people, right? Yeah, yeah. 900 people at a sold-out St. Andrews Hall, downtown Detroit. And, you know, it's like one of those voting things. You vote for your favorite band. And then we lost to the Cowboys again, Last Calvary. Oh. One vote. Yeah, damn Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like a Detroit Lions fan. Damn Cowboys. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so, but... It didn't matter because a lot of people saw us. And I think that was basically how we started getting shows in Detroit, opening up for a couple people like that next year. Uh, it was like 87, 87-ish, we uh, played these shows. Like within next three shows, we opened up for like the Meat Puppets. So, and... We opened up for my friend's band. He was in this band called The Mangoes and opened up for my other friend's band, The Colors, my friend Pat, Pat and Flip. And they, those are the ones that were like begging me to start a band because they were in pretty big punk bands or in the area, rock bands. So they're like, we get you a show. Like, okay. And they did, you know? And uh, that's how it all started. And Pat right now, the one for the, that was in the band, The Colors, he's in the Dirt Bombs now. He's the drummer for that band. Oh, okay. so yeah, uh huh. So that's and the uh, you know, so I knew all those bands. You know, I was friends because I used to go to tons of shows even before I was in a band. And those those people they went to Oakland University went with me. So I knew a lot of bands, so we could get shows. So we went and just got shows, you know. And but we didn't open up for people long, you know. And we just start headlining our own show. Yeah, that's the thing I find really interesting about the um, Gangster Fun story is that you become like a, a a pretty good drawing headlining band really fast. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like people ask, always say, oh, so were you the biggest ska band in Detroit? I said, no, we were the biggest band in Detroit. Damn. Like, what, what do you think it was? I mean, was it, I mean, it, obviously there not being any other bands in this music, I'm sure played a factor, but I mean, that can't be the whole story of why that happened. I guess timing, you know, I think people just wanted to dance, punk rockers, because it's like, there was no ska scene. It's like, you know, so everybody could come to our shows and we weren't discriminating and we didn't put out the vibe that only we wanted this type of person at our show. Yeah. You know, it's not, no, hippie will come, punk rocker will come, skinhead will come, uh, somebody who looked like my mom will come, you know, or me. It's like a, you know, black person will come, Asian person. It's like everybody and everybody did come, you know, everybody danced. And it was like, and it was like no pretensions about it. I think that's what did it. Was that unique to the other bands and the other scenes in the area? Well, the punk bands, of course, because, you know, they were so loud and aggressive and it was so, it was so violent, you know? So that would just ostracize a lot of people. A lot of people didn't want to come see that. And then like you had all black clubs and all white clubs. So, you know, white people wouldn't, definitely weren't going to the black clubs and black people weren't going to the white clubs. I mean, the only melting point where you could get like some black people were at were like the gay clubs and the punk rock clubs. The, not, no, I actually call them the new wave clubs, like the God clubs, not like the serious punk rock clubs, but where they play dance music, you know, like they'll play a cabaret Voltaire dance song or they play the dancey mi- remix of a public image song. And then they would play Prince afterwards. Then you, you get people there because people who like Prince also liked, you know, the type of music that we were playing, you know, they would come because they were like, they were open-minded to stuff, you know? So it was all kinds of people. If you get like 10% of every, you know, subgenre of people out there, you're going to fill up a club, you know? Now, Gangster Fun also was like kind of, kind of a wild scene too, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. It was, it, it was crazy, man. I can't even explain it. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, like we kind of talked about this at the beginning, like yeah, your show, you as performers, it was kind of just every man for himself chaos a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I was the ringleader of it. I definitely, yeah, I was the ringleader of not my band. I couldn't tell them what to do, but I definitely had, you know, orchestrated the audience to some degree. And then there was definitely like a chaos in the audience. I don't know if it was unique to you guys or just the scene in general, but right. Wasn't there kind of like people getting drunk and fighting was kind of a normal thing. I mean, that's why the bars liked us so much and always book us because we would bring such a big drinking crowd, you know, and that's what people did. People that's was the time where you could smoke inside a club. So you got to think a club that could fit 800 people, everyone's smoking and drinking and partying. It was a party. And if you have that much drinking, you're going to have some fighting. And that's what it was. And, and that's what it, it was like that all the time. Like people would just be thrown through plate glass windows. People would, people would be 
thrown off a balcony, hit with a chair, oh, wow. stabbed. I mean, I've seen it all. I mean, I had the best seat in the house for it. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh my God. You know, if I could put like a notch on the side of the stage every time I saw something, that'd be they would have to buy a new no stage. stage. I know it would look like, you know, termites, <laughs> you know. It was it was insane, you know. But, you know, most people still had a great time, you know. I mean, I can't remember ever getting shut down or no no one ever not inviting us back because of because of that. I mean, urinals getting ripped off the wall and thrown across the stage. I've seen everything. <laughs> Was any of that violence ever directed towards the band? Uh, not like that. I mean, like, you know, I've been like confronted by skinheads or something or just some asshole. Yeah, but, yeah. But, not, but not some, just some drunk person getting on stage and trying to haul off. And oh, no, they've, they've gone, people have gone on stage and tried to do that, but. Oh, yeah? What happens? Usually I just, people start yelling at me. I hand them the microphone and say, oh, you could do better? <laughs> Sing. <laughs> and then the band starts playing and like. And then the guy goes, play this song. The band would jump into it. And then the person would start trying to sing. And <laughs> the crowd would grab them and do what they will with them. Sometimes they just throw them out of the club. Sometimes they beat them up. Sometimes, you know, I could just, I had the power to say, like, should I let this guy sing? And everyone goes, yeah. <laughs> okay. I just hand them the microphone. Or I could say, okay, you got, it's like the gong show. Do what you want, yeah. you know. You're going to get gong. You're good. We'll give you love, you know. You suck. I mean, it's like the way the uh, American Idol really should be. Yeah. You know, if you suck, you just throw them to the, you throw them to the freaking lions, man. <laughs> <laughs> just like, how, how many were good? Zero. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course none of them were good. It was always a shit show. Always. <laughs> You know what? It was always fun because if somebody was bad and they were nice, we were always giving them a hug. Yeah. And everybody like, and if they were real nice, I'm like, no, no, you don't get to boo. Okay. You get to cheer for them. Everybody. Yeah. So it was like, (laughs) cool. You know? So it's not like only if you were like a complete, like, you know, not just total Yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's like, I really never had to do anything. If like somebody's going to be mean to me because I have 1200 people backing me up. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, really, it was like, you really don't want to do that. So, and people, the only dumb ones would try it, you know, because I never really had to do anything. Still don't. In terms of the fighting, um, Mm -hmm. there was a thing you did. I don't know at what point in the band you started doing this, but you would just start playing the Rocky theme song as a sort of like, (laughs) almost like you were making fun of them. Well, the rule was the only rule Gangster Fun ever had, no matter what happens, never stop between a song. You can cut into any song in the middle of a song, but you never stop playing to say, like, you never Ian Mackay it. You know, you never be like Minor Threat of Fugazi. And just, hey, guys, you don't be a whiny, you know, a whiny guy like that. You know, it's not a good look. It's not becoming. You know, I mean, it might be becoming for him, but it wasn't for us, you know. So, yeah. um, so when people would start fighting, we would just break into the Rocky thing. <laughs> no matter what song, it's just like, fight, 
Brian would click the sticks and we go straight into it. The horns, you know, it was wonderful. I mean, like I remember this, it was in Akron, Ohio. And this petite woman is on the front of the stage. And she's dancing. This big skinhead gets up behind her and grabs her breast. Just, and she turns around, pulls out this knife and starts stabbing him. Holy shit. <laughs> And I'm just cracking up. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> this is great. And he's running. <laughs> I'm still laughing. And he's running and she's just chasing him and stabbing him. And I'm like, look at the band. I go, now. And they just kick into it. You know, kick it to the Rocky thing. And he's just like, it was a, it was a massacre. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so... If you had to guess how many times uh, Gangster Fun played the Rocky theme in its career, what would you guess? Oh, gosh. 10? 10? 11? 11, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 10, 11. I mean, mainly in Detroit, though. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Was Detroit a little more wild than the other cities? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't even stutter, did I? No, you didn't. No, not at all. <laughs> all the other cities were like, you know, playing at Mitt Romney's house. You know, it was just like, uh, <laughs> it was just like, you know, here's some biscuits, tea, and we get to say a prayer. You know, I was like, is anybody a close second? No, no, like you know, maybe like I said, maybe Akron. You know, yeah. but it wouldn't not Chicago or not like Pittsburgh or not. No, no one really was. You know, no one. Mm-mm. Yeah, you know, Flint. But that's basically, <laughs> you know, but um, nah, it was, everything else was pretty mellow, very cordial, nice, pleasant. It's like being <laughs> in the country, it's like being in a country club other places, like, you know, like you're going to Cleveland, cool, vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it about Detroit then? Is it just a, just part of the city? I don't know if it's like that anymore, but back then. You know, I think everybody was just trying to work out the week's aggressions from having, like, nothing to do. This was, like, nothing to do. It was, like, everything was closed down. It was cold in the winter, hot in the summer. Everybody's just pissed off, you know? And for for right reasons, like, this is a city that has just been dealt every low blow by the, by the man, you know? And, mm-hmm. and you know... It was just a way, just, it was our, it was our, um, a gangster fun show was like going to see Mr. Dr. Phil, but in a real way, you know, it's <laughs> like, you get to really like find yourself and express yourself. <laughs> so I think that was it, you know? And, but like I said, like most of the people here were quite lovely, you know, and are, you know, and, but even the, even the nicest person, that's the one you have to really watch out for, you know? It's not the one that's showing aggression all the time. It's the one that's never showing aggression. Mm-hmm. They're the one, if you like do, do them wrong, they're the ones that are really going to come after you, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so, and that's how the city is. Like most people are really nice, will help you out. You know, and always have been able, will always will help you out if you're down, you know, even a stranger, you know, it's not like, you know, like I've never been robbed here, you know, I've never been assaulted here, you know, 
is it dangerous? Only if you're stupid. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was the thing I felt when I started coming to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Like I started coming to Detroit in like ninety eight mm-hmm. and everybody was like, Oh yeah, watch watch out. I was like, All right. And came to Detroit and I thought it was fine, but it was probably a lot more chill at that point. I don't know. Ninety eight was a lot different than like eighty eight, you know? Yeah. But it's still like if you go in certain areas, even to the today, it's like, well, you know, you might not want to go there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you might be taking taking your life in your own hands. Right, right. I mean, but like I said, someone's always going to watch, make sure that someone's always going to have your back if you're a nice person. You got to be a really, really horrible person for somebody not to help you. Yeah. You know? So it's like one of those cities. It's still like, it's a real big village, you know? I mean, there's a lot of crappy people here. It doesn't, in it, but there's more, there's always, there's a lot of crappy people er- everywhere. I mean, I just, I lived in Seattle for a while, you know, and like people ask me why I moved back to Detroit. And I like to say, uh, well, Seattle's pretty, but ugly. Detroit's mm-hmm. ugly, but pretty. Hmm. you know that's real so and that's why i stand by that you know okay so you become a headlining band mm-hmm. doing really well and then does have you guys already recorded an album or does it become time to record an album well we were already a headlining band and we you know we didn't record an album while while we were a headlining band we had a cassette tape okay and that was just so that was just like a demo tape type thing yeah get us shows you know and we would give some out of shows maybe sell them for three bucks or something no, it was like something that we did at Josh House. So just like a home home recording. Home recording, yeah. And we're on that mashing up. The, our first release, we were on a compilation, that mashing up the nation compilation. Yeah. The first one, we put Mario's hideout on that. And then, you know, like we would play these shows and people did fanzines back then, you know, where they would type up the scene. They had a couple of ska zines. And I think Roddy Marino out of Oy Ska Records, out of Cardiff Wells, must have read about us in that. So uh, I get this letter in the mail saying that he was interested in putting us out. Like, could we send him a demo and see if he liked it? So we had a bunch of, so we sent him that tape and he loved it. He says, I want to put out a record for you. So we went in the studio and that's right after we had played with them. We knew this uh, producer guy who did, uh, who eventually ended up doing the ICP records. We were his first record. Mikey Clark, he recorded us. So we recorded with him for $1,000. We did Come See, Come Scott. And send it over, over to Wells and he pressed it up. That's so interesting that you had a, um, a, a record label in the UK. Yeah. You know, nobody could get the record over here. It was like real bad distribution. I mean, I saw the record once at a record store, mm-hmm. maybe about 10 years ago. And it was like $300. Damn. Oh my God. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? You know, it's like the record clocks in, the whole album clocks in at 29 minutes. It's got 11 songs on it. <laughs> you know, so, that's what's up. So, I mean, we, I, I, I like to write short, sweet, sweet. So get to the point. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus, you know? And, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So, and then we still had a record out that nobody could get. But at least we had a record out. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So then did you guys go over to the UK to, to support the record? or No, nah, no. Nah. 
we never no that never no, happened. No, that never happened we never got invited nowhere to play over there it's like it was a different time you know it's like yeah for sure was, how do you get shows over there no internet no you had a couple of scenes that were right about us but we didn't even know how to book a show over there and, and it was wasn't like uh the label was going to help us do that i mean the labels that would have helped you do that would, would have been at the time if you were going to be on the sky label would have been like unicorn that you could have got on that label mm-hmm. and they weren't signing a band like us you know yeah so um yeah it wasn't gonna happen you know so i mean like our first like big show after that record got put out like huge out of the out of the midwest because we had big shows in the midwest is when we first went out west and did the greek theater for the ska festival Oh yeah, you were it's a Earth Day Scott yeah, festival. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell me a little bit about your experience with that. Um did you just get a call from the promoter and said, "Hey, we want you guys to play this?" Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we were we were only the like we were like one of the few Midwest contingents. So, you know, it's like yeah. So we went out there and did it. So this festival um this was 1990. This was a Greek theater in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um Describe for people, this is like a really weird moment in ska where, you know, this is still an underground music, but there's a huge audience. Yeah, biggest ska festival I ever played. Yeah. It, you know, people might say like, you know, the one that happened a couple of weeks ago in Virginia was huge. This one was way bigger. Oh, for sure. Know? Yeah. And uh, the bands on the bill, if I can remember, I mean, there's a this panel discussion and I'm representing Gangster Fun and I'm sitting next to member of Let's Go Bowling and Elise is next to me from Dancehall Crashers and someone from the Uptones is next to her and then uh, Ranking Rogers next to them. Yeah. And then Buster Blood Vessels there and somebody from Skeletons and it was like a lot of us. You know, uh, Me Mom and Morgan Toller. Yeah. That's a Canadian Um, band. Yeah. Yeah, out of Montreal. And yeah, it was just like this all day thing at the Greek. It was a good show and it's a lot of people. <laughs> and I remember the highlight being Bad Manners, of course. They were, yeah, the, best. They were the band again and again. <laughs> and that's where we befriended them. And yeah. I think our takeaway was like, we became friends with Bad Manners. And they asked us to tour with them. So that was like one of our first tours is when we did like a bunch of shows with them and Laurel Aiken and Bim Scaldum, you know? I, every single person I've ever spoken to about the that festival, every single one have said, oh, bad manners. They stole oh, the show. Manners. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily. <laughs> I, Easily. Didn't know, I didn't know there was a panel discussion. Mm-hmm. So what was the discussion about? Sky. Scott. I remember like I, I remember this. <laughs> I shouldn't say the name. I'll say the name. Who cares? I remember like uh like Dave Wakeling was kind of smarmy to me. Like, because he's, you know, he's British. He's supposed to be, you know? So <laughs> um not that he's supposed to be. He was just must have been woke up on his maybe he needed a nap. But um they gave up mm-hmm. this stuff called Rainforest Crunch, this peanut brittle, because it was Earth Day and it supported like, you know. Proceeds go to help the rainforest. And we were talking into these microphones. And every time Dave Wakeling said something, I would take the rainforest crunch and just crunch it into the microphone. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so he, he, couldn't, he could never hear a word he said the whole time. 
He was so he's so mad. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> and you're not gonna come over and take my rainforest crunch. You're gonna catch one in the eye. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but I made a point of just doing that every time. Man, I was a little, I was a little something, huh? But yeah, <laughs> it was hilarious. But they were good that night too, you know. It was a good, and Roland Alfonso was there, you know. The international beat is what they called themselves that show, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Roland Alfonso, um, he was just, um, he was just there hanging out, right? And he would just join in on. I know he joined in with Let's Go Bowling. Did he join in on other bands? No. Nah. No, just Let's Go Bowling, which was perfect, you know? Yeah. You know, if, if, if he was going to play with the band, it's like, because out of all those bands, they're the ones that kind of like paid the most homage to the Scottalites, you know, with the big, they had so many horns and stuff. And, you know, um, not that other bands couldn't have done it, but it, it was just, it was a perfect fit, you know? We had played with the Scottalites a lot before then. And we were friends with like, I was really good friends with Tommy and Roland. You know, they would call me up all the time. Yeah. So uh, it was just, it was just, it was perfect, you know, that he played with those guys. One of the members of Let's Go Bowling, um, Mark, I think, the bass player, he told yeah. me that um, they went into, I think, Confucius uh, uh-huh. and uh, Roland was on stage. And then Roland was like, I think, looked at them at the drummer. He's like, slow down. <laughs> like They <laughs> right. played it at like... I actually remember him doing it. He remember pushing his hands down. I actually remember him doing that. And they're like, oh, okay. So they like slowed it down to like Scottalites tempo. It's like, yeah, don't play it in this like, you know, this suburban subdivision tempo. (laughs) We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So when uh, Gangster Fun, you guys are starting to leave Detroit and to other parts of the Midwest. Yeah. You guys kind of take off out there pretty quick too, right? These other cities are like embrace you pretty fast, right? Yeah, yeah. We were embraced very fast. We were like playing in the Midwest, like even before we went out to uh, California, but we really started playing more in the Midwest, like like 91, mm-hmm. 90, 91, 92. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We would sell out every club we played. Yeah, so like... I mean, you know, you're not the first uh, band in the Midwest. You might, you might be, you're the first Detroit band, but the Midwest is, has bands that predate you. But you're kind of the first, yeah, yeah. You're kind of the first Midwest band to really be sort of big in all these cities and all these markets, right? I don't know, to be very honest with you. I couldn't answer that. But I mean, at that time, yeah, we're not the uh, first Midwest band, but there weren't many. You know, and then like some of them were like on their way out. Like you, like, like, like say the Crazy Eights. I never saw the Crazy Eights, you know, or the Urge. The Urge never came to Detroit, you know, 
Like you had in the in the early '80s, you had uh, heavy man. Heavy manners never came. To, I don't ever remember them coming. To try. I had never heard of heavy manners. You know. Yeah, they were um, they were huge in Chicago, but yeah, they didn't really. But they're a lot. They're a lot older than us, and they were before us. You know. Yeah. But I mean, I think their vibe was all those bands. Their vibe was a little bit different. I mean, our aesthetic really appealed. We weren't. We were too influenced by. We weren't a ska punk band. Yeah. You know, it would be hard to classify us. I mean, people can classify us, whatever, you know. Most people classify us as crap. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't classify us as a third wave band either yeah. because uh. that sound was so much different than ours, you know. Um, because we were taking our cues from two tone, really. Musically, you, you're closer to two tone. But um, you kind of have a, an energy that's a little bit crazier than two-tone. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we're, we're kind of spastic, you know. I mean, but I don't know. I think maybe the aesthetic was just different. Maybe that we were, people just liked us because of that, you know. We weren't, because we were basically a bar, a bar owner's dream come true. Why is that? Because it was just drinky, 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 drinky. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like, it was like the perfect band to see on a Friday night if you just did not care and you just want to have a good time. Like, if nothing else, my the band could make you smile and have a good time, mm -hmm. you know? It was like zero pretensions about it, you know? So, I mean, I've only been in two bands and, you know, that band, you know, Gangster Fun was really good at like just making people just feel really good to wash your worries away, you know. I want to talk about um, you. You guys did a lot of covers. That was like a, a prominent. Not as many as people think. I mean, Dave. Dave might. Th I mean, some people might put us out there to be a covers band, but we probably only kept it to two to three a show. But we had a, a huge repertoire. The fact that you would do like non-ska songs as ska was like, I think, a part of your legacy, though. That that was a prominent thing that you introduced. I mean, it, it's not like you're the first band to do that, but you made it a, a, a feature of the band, kind of, right? Um, I think the audience made it a feature. Of oh, yeah? Just because those were the songs that they would latch on to? You know, people would just yell, Freebird, you know, like that whole bar thing, play Freebird, play Freebird. You know, it's like, then the band going to Freebird. It's like, but no, it's like, but I would never sing it. I always would hand the mic to someone, you know? But um, it was just like, oh, wouldn't this be funny if we did this song? You know, and I mean, like, and this was the weirdest cover you could think of. So we would do, say, some of them were horrible too. Like we did Blue Monday by New Order. <laughs> like that one was bad. Carry on my wayward song by Kansas, achy breaky heart. You know? <laughs> some of them were just it's just horrible, you know. But some of them at the time clicked really well. Like say like Sweet Child of Mine as a ska song. Oh shit. So that one worked out really well. Lagrange, that one worked out really well. Or some of them were just, you know, just the groove felt right. Wait, with a song like like Sweet Child of Mine, when you'd get to like a solo section, who was taking the solos? The guitar player or the horn players? Usually the 
at that time, the trombone or the guitar, whoever felt like taking it. And you guys would just work it out on the fly, like. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. That's so sick. Yeah. Whoever wanted to take it, you know. I think, but David sang that one, the guitar player. He sang Sweet Child of Mine, so. And, you know, and I sang like uh, rock and roll all night, party every day. So I did the Kiss song. <laughs> so, you know, we had, a, we had a lot, you know. But you guys did Kiss and did it Ska? Uh-huh. Amazing. <laughs> so good. It goes so good. Really? <laughs> You're pandering. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I, I just imagining that. Oh, I just, yeah. I think that would be great. Yeah. I mean, was, that's such, such like a, like a, like an earworm happy feeling, like rock and roll song and to yeah. just turn it into ska. Yeah. It was a total certain song. It would just tickle that part of your brain. You'd just be like, oh God. And, just, <laughs> and go for it. And that's what happened to the audience, I think. It would tickle it would tickle that part of the brain where it's just like, oh my God, they're doing this. This is so stupid, but so right. <laughs> but so good. Yeah. At the same time. And, and we when we did it, we actually played it well too. So that I yeah. mean, that that was the, the takeaway, you know? That's I mean, that's the thing too. If you take any dumb idea and do it well, mm-hmm. like it immediately makes it like elevates it like yeah. a thousand times. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we we and we try some of them were like became staples, but we every like couple months, you know, we throw something new into the mix, you know, like right before the pandemic, um, we had a show booked, but we had to cancel it because that's when the shutdown happened. Yeah, and we were practicing getting ready for it. And we're like, okay, let's think of a weird one to do, mm-hmm. and uh, so we did the. Uh, we learned it. It turned out really good too. We learned the. Uh, What's that song by uh, Nas X? Uh, Old, Ta- Old Town Road? Yeah, we learned the sweet ska version of Old yeah. Town Road. Oh. And it turned out really well. And we never played it for <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. And Dave was doing the Billy Ray Cyrus part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just kind of just try to do songs that people wouldn't think of. Things that crack us up because the whole goal is just to entertain ourselves. The audience was usually secondary. If they liked it, cool. If they didn't, cool. We were never like trying to like win over anybody's approval. You know, it's even kind of more funny if it's if it's just cracking everybody in the band up and nobody in the audience gets it. <laughs> we really did not. The funny thing, we never cared about the audience. Yeah, I mean, we wanted people to have fun, but we were never doing it so you could have fun right we were doing it so we could have fun which in turn hopefully you would have fun too <laughs> it's totally self-indulgent didn't you uh do smells like teen spirit as ska yeah <laughs> how did that did uh did people like that one yeah i think we did that the night that we did do that the night that guy got stabbed <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no one ever gave us animosity for any of the songs we did, you know. That was never never an issue. I mean, it wouldn't be an issue in Detroit. No one they didn't care, you know. So the very, very first song you ever covered though was uh Blitz Creep Bop, right? As a reggae song? Yes. Okay. Yes. Can you and you wrote special lyrics for this, right? Pete did, because Pete sang it. Do you remember them? I can remember 
maybe a verse. The Rudy and okay. the Rasta <laughs> are coming out the praise ja, and they're smoking <laughs> all the ganja. The Blick Street Bop. The skankers, do a, <laughs> the skankers do a jump run, like shooting from a shotgun, and they're dancing to the G-Fun. <laughs> the Blick Street Bop. It's like stupid shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hence, it was never put out. <laughs> yeah, we were big Ramones fans, you know. Well, who isn't? At the beginning of the interview, you talked about um, bad manners, mm-hmm. and uh, you were talking about how, on one hand, you'd have just some just silly stuff from them, but they would also have like, you know, they would discuss real things in there as well. Yeah, and that was kind of your approach lyrically too, right? To the gangster pun songs. Yeah. Um. So. Let's talk about a few songs like um, I'd Buy a Gun. Tell me a little about that song. Basically, it was just stating how, you know, gosh, I just did that song at Supernova with Jason Navarro. Oh, yeah? Yeah, lie. I was trying to, I was like, oh, what are these lyrics? Oh, man. Because people might think it's like pro-gun, you know, because it's pretty violent. But it was just taking like the absurdity of guns like life it would be so groovy if i owned an uzi you know that's one of the lines love to hear the bang go off my ears love to see the people walk in fear be a vigilante or a robocop say my checks that i have just enough hear the bang 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 of a nice 12 gauge better than fire or a hand grenade if i had one you know i'd be so ruder wish i wish i wish i had a german luger you know so it's just basically just saying like these people going out here collecting these guns and stuff and they think that's gonna like make them stronger, make them more secure, you know? But it's just kind of just, you know, it's kind of weak, you know? Sure, yeah. You know, it's just kind of a weak man fighting for a weak person. Just fight. If you're going to fight, just fight, you know? You know, don't be lame. Start, you know. How about the song Bank of Love? (laughs) 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 Oh, Bank of Love. It's about this it's about uh, racial <laughs> harmony. Yeah. And, and, and what, what's the method that you use to uh, talk about racial harmony? A guy <laughs> breaks into a sperm bank and he grabs <laughs> a sperm and he starts mixing up all the different races <laughs> so everybody can be one color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Grab the yellow, the blue, the green. Uh, gosh, I can't remember the words. Grab the yellow, the blue, the red, primary colors. I mix instead. See? Uh, the yellow, the blue. Uh, so he starts mixing the primary colors to make yellow. Like this, everybody just turns out this ugly sh- shit gray or beautiful. <laughs> or maybe they come out maybe just a little like a beautiful like you know s- you know sienna burnt sienna. Who knows? You know? <laughs> so you know it's, that's all it's about. And it's a break in this saying the nurse is all right. The nurse is all right. This guy goes into like so the nurse he's you know having a hard time pleasuring himself to get his sperm out, but the nurse will help him. You know, the guy still is going to like <laughs> I mean, it, it's a, it's a, you know, silly concept, but the, but the mess, the actual message behind it is, is pretty great. Yeah. I wish like, it could really happen. Yeah. Right. Then we would just start fighting on who had the, the tallest. You know, people find, <laughs> you know, or this the person, longest fingers, the longest fingers people will find something you know because we're dumb like that you know yeah you know 
at that time is the best way I could think of having racial harmony. So that's what I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Your second album, uh, Time Flies When You're Gangster Fun, which I think, by the way, I think that's such a great album title. Thanks. It's nice. Yeah. Thanks. Did you work with the same label in the UK or did you? No, that was self-released. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, I assume part of that was just like the frustration of not having your album out there. Yeah. You know, it's like the frustration of that. And, you know, like, you know, I had like talked to a bunch of labels about putting us out, you know, and people would introduce me to people who did label stuff like, you know, I knew a lot of people like like Thurston Moore introduced to me somebody back in the early 90s from Sonic Youth. And I went out to uh, Celluloid because they had put out Tuba City by Bim Scala Bim and they wanted to talk to me, but they weren't interested. But which is great because they folded right after anyway. Yeah, I was going to say you lucked out because um, the story is that the so they, they put out Tuba City and they also put out the first or second toasters record and both those bands say they were like totally screwed over by that label yeah so like yeah 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 we like nobody would so we really didn't have any other option you know and i came from the maximum rock and roll scene anyway the diy so let's just put it out ourselves you know did you guys put like a a fake uh label on on it or anything yeah just yeah yeah we were on ice i cup records i see you pp (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah oh boy we could have been a little bit more mature about that but you know i love that (laughs) nobody nobody ever tried to be like so um do you think you get our band on uh, icup records no nobody did that i don't think so maybe brian (laughs) brian might know because he got a lot of those letters (laughs) but no no it wasn't like that back then you know you just everybody kind of just put out their own stuff you know sure and nobody was really like putting out like band stuff out of Detroit, especially like a ska band out of Detroit by the time, like the exceptions weren't get put out in Parker Kings or, you know, I mean, I think the first one that might've got put out by a label later on might've been the articles. And that was like 2000 when Moon put them out, but nobody was other than like the suicide machines. And that's the yeah. account because, you know, the mouse was like, yeah, the mouse was loving the suicide machines. <laughs> 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 when when we were in high school, Aaron's Aaron's fake record label was Flat Broke Flat Flat Broke Records. Flat Broke, I love it. Well, it's so real. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because my my band was called Flat Planet, so yeah. it was Flat Broke yeah. Records. <laughs> so dumb. But I mean, I remember being a couple of years younger than Aaron, seeing that, and being like, "Oh, I wonder if my my band can, can be on Flat <laughs> Broke." I don't see that now. Oh man, hey, Flat Broke, you still working? I send you my demo, Flat Broke. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> DIY, you know, because we I did come from the punk rock scene, you know, and it just made sense, you know, and it was like, you know, we weren't gonna, ever going to get big anyway. We didn't even know what big was you know it's like what is big a band like ours isn't gonna get big you know but i think we helped other bands hopefully get bigger than they thought they would have ever gotten just by being their giving them inspiration to do it you know but it wasn't going to happen to for us no matter what anybody says it's just like it's not supposed to happen for every band you know Mm -hmm. and you know, 
And plus, we didn't have those type of songs, you know. You know, it's not like we were ever going to, you know. Like, I can never dance like the guy in the boss tones. <laughs> <laughs> so being like a Detroit ska band in like the early 90s, late 80s, I mean, the idea of like being signed by a major was just, that was a complete fantasy. Well, they didn't even know who we were, first of all. No. And yeah, I mean, it was never an ambition of ours. And even if they got us, they wouldn't know what to do with us, you know. By the time the bands were getting signed of that ilk, you know, I was tired of the band by that time. I needed a break, you know. Yeah, what what burned you out on it? I did want to, like, tour more. And the other guys were, like, totally against it, I think. They were just, mm. they were more complacent. They were real happy of just probably just playing for beer at a sports bar. And I didn't drink or anything, you know. I never have, you know. So I was just, like, do drugs or anything. I was just, like. And it was just like, the one thing is like, we were leaving the punk rock scene or like the underground soul scene or like people in the city and they started playing more to like suburban, like sports bars and I kind of didn't like it there. So, uh, and they didn't want to record. I'm like, well, they didn't, at the time, I didn't feel like they wanted to record. And I was like, and I was just tired. I'm like, well, I'm need a. I'm not gonna play with you guys anymore. So I left and finished up going to school. You know, just kind of just chill. It was bandless for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that feel for that that time period? Not having a band. Great. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing, you know, because um, I mean, I, I had thought about it for a good years. Now it wasn't done hastily, you know. So, uh, so I, and I had started it and they kept it going, you know, they tried, you know, and they put out a couple of records without me on them. And, but, you know, I had a, but then like after a year left, like maybe not late 94, then I had another band started by 96 and when we were pretty big. So I, what kinda, was that band? We called the Atomic Fireballs. Okay. So. Yeah. You got a, you got a, uh, you got signed, right? Yeah. yeah I was on Atlantic records yeah nice yeah and so you were not quote-unquote swing but you were kind of maybe viewed in that lens yeah but that lens is pretty dirty you know (laughs) yeah i mean basically if you were a tie and you weren't playing ska you were a swing band but you know but i come from like my parents and stuff my grandparents we listened to big joe turner and winoni harris and louis jordan and that was my influence wasn't Frank Sinatra. We didn't listen to, like, you know, white crooners in my house. So, you know, so that was the swing scene. Like, they drank martinis. And my band was like, we always thought of ourselves, if Fishbone were a jump blues band, this is what they would be, you know? So, and that's what we were. I mean, we were that much more energetic and way rambunctious again you know so um so i mean i wasn't really thinking about gangster fun anymore because i was too busy touring you know like i had done conan o'brien i did late night the miss usa pageant you know i did i was playing a lot 200 i did a couple warp tours i was busy playing 
Yeah. And I wish that could have happened with Gangster Fun even more so than with Atomic Fireballs because Gangster Fun is my first love, you know? But it just didn't, you know? Yeah, that would have been like a Gangster Fun on Warp Tour. Oh, it would have been perfect, you know? Would have been pretty great, yeah. I mean, like, when am I, uh, like, our first, a tour, my last big tour, wasn't even big tour, it was a crappy tour that I did with Gangster Fun. We brought Buck 09 as our supporting act for that tour. And they kept going, kept going. And I saw all the stuff they did. And I'm really, I just talked to those guys a couple of weeks ago. And, and it's like, it's amazing, you know, I was so happy for them. And I was thinking, you know, they were like, they always thank me. I'm like, thank me for what? You, know, without, you always told us, give it your all, you know, no matter how many people in the audience, if there's three people or 3,000. I'm like, yeah, you know, as long as you're having a good time. And they still are out there. They just have a great time. And I mean, I like to think like, you know, I helped uh, Mustard Plug. I like to think so. Or Suicide Machines or, you know, the Parker Kings and Exceptions. And there are a lot of bands that were that that I think that that gives me more joy than like being able to like play a couple of warp tours with Gangster Fun is being able to see my friends that they think helped I, that they that I that they say that they say I helped out be able to have like those experiences. That's way cooler, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely heard that from the bands you mentioned. I've all, I've all said that, you know? Yeah. About you and about Gangster Fun. Yeah. It's like, I'm lucky. I mean, basically, I think our comrades at that time, but they were like, they did a lot more road work than us, was Bim Scala Bim. They took us under and they were like, they were our friends in that scene, you know? And we did a lot of it, shows together with those guys. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So you just, um, you did a few shows as the singer of Bim Scala Bim yeah, recently? Yeah, Wow. What was that like? <laughs> it was surreal. You know, it was kind of weird, you know? <laughs> yeah. I had to learn all these songs. I'm like, Learn 27 songs. I'm like, you guys are going to play 27 songs. Oh my God. No, but learn them. I'm like, no, <laughs> learn this many. <laughs> but um, it was fun. You know, I had a good time and hopefully they had a good time. They said they did, you know, and you know, that's Dan's band. I don't, don't, I don't get it wrong. That's Dan is the singer, but they needed me to help out and, you know, my brother. So I had to, you know, and I tried to just, be as professional as I can and just do it justice. Not try to be Dan, be myself. But um, it was fun. It was fun. It's good to re reconnect with my old friends, you know, hang out and hang out with them, you know. It's good. That's a cool way. To, that's a cool way to reconnect too. To yeah, you know, step into those shoes for a second. Yeah, yeah. It's like I have a history with those guys. I've known them for over thirty years, you know. So it was it was awesome, you know. And on a stage like that, you know. Then we ended it with the last show being Supernova. So it was fun. 
I had heard that um, Gangster Fun or something had played on an uh, Insane Clown Posse song or songs. Yeah. Yeah, I was out of the band at the time. I think um, what it was, you know, because I told you Mikey Clark was our producer. Yeah, and he, yeah. And he does all the music for Insane Clown Posse. And okay. Like, and he also did this music for this um, side note. For, it's a song called uh, by this the fastest ragamuffin rapper, Daddy Freddy. <laughs> he was in the Guinness World Records for rapping the fastest. And he had this song, I think it made it to number two in Japan, called Daddy Freddy. It's called Keep Talking. And Gangster Fun is the band, and we wrote the music for that. So that's us playing it. You know, I don't know if we get credited, but that's us, you know. And George, so he, George Clinton produced it. We're in the studio with George wow. Clinton. Yeah. Wow. What a weird, um, all of those components and all those musicians together, all collaborating. What a weird blend. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we... Um, those guys did this because of that connection with Mike Clark, did the music for, I don't know if it's the song Snoop Dogg is rapping on. It is. I think this is the song that Snoop Dogg is on, too. Mm. <laughs> and it's like this circusy type music, and it's like real intricate, crazy, and Gangster Fun is the band. So what what are the odds that um, the ICP kid when they were kids that they were skanking at Gangster Fun shows? A hundred percent, because I live next door to them. Oh yeah, I live no across, way. I lived across the hall from them. Yeah, I know. That's amazing. They've been to our shows. Hundred <laughs> nice. percent. Those not the not not the kid maybe not the I not maybe not the juggalos skanking to those, but the guys in ICP. Yeah, we know them. They've been to our shows. Yeah. yeah. See. I love that. I mean, Detroit's a small town, man. It's like Kid Rock's been to our shows, you know? <laughs> Jack White's been to a lot of our shows. Well, I ran into him a couple years ago, and I, he told me. He's like, I used to see you guys all the time. I didn't even recognize him. So, yeah, you know, so I'm like, yeah, who? He's like, I'm John, it's me, Jack White. Now, the only thing I could say is like, oh, man, you look a lot you look a lot, you're a lot taller in person, <laughs> you know, but you know, band people see band people, you know? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. yeah. The romantics have seen us. But I, I love the idea of Jack White at a gangster fun show. A lot so of them. Lots. Lots of them. Lots. Like enough that he's like excited to see you. Like that's incredible. Yes. He, he said we had the, he said he had the best time at our shows. Like everybody else, you know? Oh, that's so great. That's so good. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, it's like, if you were in a band, I think he might have been in the go at that time. But if you were in a band, you go out and see other bands if you're not playing. Sure. And, you know, and if it's kind of like, and it wasn't any, we didn't see like the division in scenes until we left Detroit. You know, like, oh, this is a ska show. Oh, we're about to play a show. Oh, why are there five band ska bands on the bill? Why is that? You know, and we noticed that once we got out to West Coast or something like, you know, like when we played like the Teriyaki House with Hepcat, like Hepcat warmed up for us like our first tour, and and I didn't even remember it was the Teriyaki House until I ran into those guys at Supernova and said, Yeah, remember when we played that Chinese that Chinese restaurant? I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that, you know. But <laughs> you know, but it would always be like 
four ska bands on the bill, five ska bands, and everybody's riding their scooter up and they're all suited up. It's like, wow, this is so weird, you know? I feel like I'm in Quadrophenia or something. And and it wasn't like that, you know, here. Yeah. And, and it was so I think once you have promoters thinking like that, that kind of is the quickest way to kill a scene. You know, because people feel like, well, I don't do that because I don't fit in. I don't have clothes like that, you know, or I, I don't know how to swing dance. Or I don't know how to dance the ska, you know, or, you know, it's just kind of, it's, it's too bad, you know, that promoter stuff, promoters don't mix up the bands more. I, I 100% agree. Yeah. I think there's going to be more of a push once shows like really come back for shows to be more mixed up. Because everybody we talk to wants it to go back to that. I hope so, because I want to tour with Butthole Surfers. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <He's> so sick. <laughs> yeah. You I'll know. go see that show. For yeah, right. You know, so, I mean, or it's hell. I want to, like, if, like, um, the Revolution play. Why can't I open up for Prince's backup band? I'll do that. You know, I mean. Hell yeah. But, um, yeah, I wish they would mix, mix it up a little bit more. You know, I mean, ska fest is good. Ska shows are good, but it doesn't have to be like that. You know? Yeah. It's it's always good when it's like, you know, each band is a little different. So, yeah, you're not like you're not burnt out of, of the genre or whatever. Right. Like when we played with Fugazi, you know, um, it was like Nation of Ulysses, Trenchmouth, Us and Fugazi. So, yeah. You that's know, a great show. I know. Great lineup. We played with Nate, uh, Trenchmouth a lot. You know, that's when Dan, uh, Fred Armisen was the drummer in the band. He used to stay at my house yeah, yeah. all the time. And, you know, and those guys, we loved playing with those guys. The band was so good. And we enjoyed it, you know. Or like if we were going to play with a ska band, then not even a ska band, but at least be like so weird and just like out there. Like I always like playing with the Blue Meanies, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So They're so good. Yeah, you know, just like a John Zorn vibe about them. So it was just like Oh yeah. So craziest horn section. Mm-hmm. But it was like it doesn't always have to be like this pick him up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up thing, you know. Which we were never really about, you know. Yeah. So but you know, we didn't dislike it, but I didn't I'm always bored when there's that many bands of that ilk all jammed together. You know? Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. When I played with them just now, the show in Boston was like that. There were like four ska bands. I'm like, oh, you guys just priming me for Supernova? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Scottalites. And, well, yeah, they call themselves the Scottalites. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, was it Westbound Train? And, it was, and the, they were all really, really good. That's the funny thing. It's like, well, all these bands are good, but I wonder if I would watch them more if they were mixed up with some other band. I would pay attention more. I was wondering, you know. I mean, I think so. Yeah, I think I would. You know, so I don't know what's going to happen. I ask you guys. You write the books. What's going to happen in fifteen years with this genre? I don't know. My my old ska band used to just play with hardcore bands. So see, I love that. I love that. And you guys were like, 
You guys were uh, like a ska punk band or no, just straight? Yeah, we were like ska punk with breakdowns. Yeah. So okay, we, we fit in. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like that, you know. But I feel like, you know, it's, I don't feel it. I don't see it changing. Maybe. My, my band, you know, even though we were more ska, like, and we used to tour, we did some tours in like 95, 96. Yeah. We rarely played with ska bands. Like, cause when we, we go on tour to like the, um, you'd leave the big cities, there wasn't a ton of ska bands, even, even by then. Mm-hmm. I think that came like a few years later. So we would just play with like random punk bands, alternative bands or whatever. And then and it was, I always loved it because I always felt like people were more receptive to us because we weren't, they hadn't been, they hadn't seen five ska bands. So it was like, Oh, this is different. Right. This, what they're right. doing is different than right. the other bands. And right. that was fun. Yeah. Right. And then I was, I was a couple of years younger than them. And so they would come home from tour and they'd have videotapes of the bands that they play with. Yeah. And speaking, speaking of butthole surfers, they played with this band called like hell uh-huh. and it was big butthole surfers vibes. Like <laughs> they were, they were wild. And I just remember watching that videotape and just being blown away. And then like, years later like early internet finally being able to look up this band and they sent me a free t-shirt and a cd because <laughs> i wrote them a fan letter like oh my god i always say the butthole surfers when i do like talks like this because i always remember like being at like home from school like yeah during a break and i was at my parents house and my mom would wash my butthole surfer shirt. It was the one with the clown <laughs> flipping it off. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to the grocery store. And she put on that shirt and go to the grocery store <laughs> in my butthole surfer shirt. And she thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> like, oh, I awesome, love that. You know? She wore that. And when I was in high school, she would wear my Bauhaus Bella Lugosi is dead shirt. <laughs> oh, I love that. I know, right? It's like. Mom, that's a picture of you in my Bella Lugosi's dead shirt. She goes, yeah, I love that shirt. It was so soft. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, but just going to see the shows. I'm going to start, hopefully, once all of this, if we ever get get a clean world again and I start feeling good enough for the shows again. Yeah. Going crazy. I'll start doing it like I did back in the day, you know? just seeing tons of band. I'm looking forward to doing that. But, oh, definitely. You know, like, but shows back then, you know, you see like six bands on a bill, $5, and you go see the Descendants with Big Black and Butthole Surfers and Killdozer and Dag Nasty. It was all touch and go bands I would go see all the time too. So, you know, it was just, it was great, you know. Hopefully we get back to that. And because I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of really good bands coming out of all genres, ska bands, punk bands, soul bands. And I just want to see what, you know, the new generation is doing live because I'm listening to their recordings and they're really good. So I'm, re- I'm really, I really am to just seeing stuff and like catching new energy from them, you know? If you had to name one new band that you are psyched to see, who would it be? Oh, new band. See, my job, my day job is crazy right now. You know, my job is just buying music and like listening to music and like trying to guess what people like. I'm a I'm a production librarian for a library and I'm in charge of five libraries buying all the music for it. Okay. And I, so much. Who would I like to see? You know, I don't know, man. That's a tough one. You know, there's a lot of 
good me- music coming out of Mexico right now. And I've been like real digging this Mexican stuff, you know, a lot of good stuff out of Mexico. I don't know though. I'll get back with you on that one. I'll shoot you an email right. because that one's All a right. tough one. <laughs> That's a tough one, you know? Yeah. It's always hard to pick one. Yeah, it really is, you know? But um, I, I try not to just revisit all the old stuff I used to listen to. Like oh, a lot of people sure. like get stuck at 26. Mm-hmm. This is the band and this is the record when I liked when I was 26. And, you know, and they don't move on from there. But I'm like, and people are always like the old people, not old people, you know, people 45 and up. There's no more good music coming out. Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I'm like, God, you know, I don't want to be that guy, you know, because there's tons of good music coming out. You know, I like to keep it artistic, you know, make keep everything yeah. artful, you know. So that's what I try to do now, at least when I record record now when i do ska i don't try to make it sound like gangster fun i'm not trying to recreate that you know yeah so that that's that's what i'm working toward you know just keep it fresh keep it new do you, do you have a new band right now no i just put out solo records now oh sick yeah yeah i have one out called sunshine and chocolate right now it's a, a six song ep it's almost awesome. sold out i gotta get you one because it's yeah. almost gone you know it's like I just do short runs, you know, short runs of 300 and I'm done in and out. And then I record another one. Another one is about to go to pressing probably in a couple of weeks, you know? So, and I just want to do the short runs of just like rock steady sky soul records, you know? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've got like uh, Eric, the guitar player from the Tellways. Uh, he's been working on, on them with me so you know then i've got like i have know so many musicians you know i can get like you know a whole bunch of people to do it you know you know there's always projects coming up you know like me and roger from like bigger thomas we were working on me roger and mark we were working on something over pandemic mark wasserman and roger uh, Apollon, we were working on something, and Angelo had t- more had talked about working on something with me a couple years ago. I have to reconnect with him. I think he's still amped about doing it. So we'll see. We'll see. You never know. There's always these like you know half knitted scarves, you know, <laughs> that never get completed. But I know I can complete. Got to finish things. them up, tie them off. Yeah, yeah. I, I complete complete my things because. You know, when you're working with a whole bunch of other people, it sometimes takes a long time, you know? Oh, and, definitely. You know, sometimes they never get completed, but I know doing these little short projects that I'm doing and, you know, like I have about 300 songs written, you know, mm-hmm. in that vein of the Roxanne yeah. Scott vein. I just need to put them out. Yeah. And that's all I've been doing for 20 years is writing, <laughs> not putting anything out. So it's time. <laughs> it's time to do it. Time to do it. Time to put that cake in the oven. Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the show wherever you normally download podcasts. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at In Defense of Ska. You can also sign up for my newsletter at aaroncarns.substack.com. 
you will get the podcast sent directly to your inbox every Wednesday. In Defense of Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has a great band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And on that note, we leave you by saying Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.